0: Today's Old Testament scripture is from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. You'll find that on page 780 in your pew Bibles. Now first, pray with me. Gracious God, we are overwhelmed by your power and might. We cannot comprehend your love and sacrifice for us. We are so undeserving, and yet you desire a relationship with us. Thank you for giving us your word through scripture. We know that it is infallible and inspired by you. Quiet our hearts and minds that we may hear what you have to say to us now. Transform our lives so that we may be conformed to your image. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Jerry Wells has bronchitis. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall, shall the righteous one be servant. Make many to, accounted, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.
1: Thank you, Karen. The gospel changes everything, doesn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the way we view life and the way we view death. The gospel of Jesus changes the way we view the past, the present, and the future. The gospel of Jesus changes the way we view success, significance, and even our own purpose here on this earth today. So what is the gospel exactly? Well, to hear the gospel that the apostle Paul preached, the gospel that the first century church was founded upon, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. It may be found on page 1222 of your Pew Bible, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, to hear the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached to all the churches he started. First Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks, be to God. God. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit. Please speak through me, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel that the apostle Paul preached helps us know where our salvation comes from. Our salvation has been secured not by what anything that we do, but rather by what Jesus has done for us. As Paul continues to write, verses three and four, "For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received: that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." Simply put. The gospel that Paul preached reminded us that Jesus died for our sins according to the Old Testament Scriptures. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. As we look at Isaiah 53, which Karen read so wonderfully just a moment ago, specifically in verse 5, we read these words, predicting the suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus actually identifies himself as this suffering servant that re- we read about in Isaiah chapter 53, which Isaiah wrote many, many years, centuries before Jesus was ever born. Jesus identifies himself as the suffering servant in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 37, when Jesus says to his disciples, For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And he was numbered with the with the transgressors. A direct quote from Isaiah 53. Jesus lets us know that his whole life and his death is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Paul is reminding the church in Corinth about the gospel that he preached because some in Corinth had actually begun to say that there was no resurrection of the dead. And Jesus will go, And Paul will go on to explain, Paul will go on to explain in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus was not raised, and if Jesus has not been raised, then we're all wasting our time here today. But Jesus has been raised. Jesus is risen. He, he, he rose again from the dead, and he not only appeared to Cephas or to Peter, but he appeared to over 500 people. And eventually he appeared to the Apostle Paul as well. The risen Jesus. The risen Jesus changes everything, doesn't it? Doesn't it? The resurrection of the gospel of Jesus that the gospel proclaims changes everything, doesn't it? As a Presbyterian minister, and like many of you, I have done and I have attended many, many funerals. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then funerals would be very sad and morbid affairs, wouldn't they? Sure, people might celebrate that this person, this loved one, had a good life, but there would be no hope of ever seeing them again. But because of the resurrection of Jesus... Funerals, while definitely sad and they're filled with mourning, they're also filled with hope, as the Apostle Paul explains in First Thessalonians 4. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. No, we have the hope and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus is risen, we know that everyone in Christ will one day be raised with him as well. It's the gospel of Jesus lets us know that there is hope. The gospel of Jesus lets us know that this life isn't all that there is. There's still more yet to come. The gospel of Jesus lets us know that death has been defeated. That our Heavenly Father's house, in our Heavenly Father's house, there are many rooms, and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for each one of us who will call upon his name. Of course, we all know that, right? I mean, it's 8:30 and you're here in a sanctuary, so I assume you've probably heard that before. This is probably not new news to you. And it wasn't new news to the church in Corinth either. Yet the Apostle Paul had to remind them of the gospel that he preached to them. Because the gospel had not yet become the center of reality for them. They weren't centering their hearts and lives and minds around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like many of us, they they heard the gospel, they may have begun to intellectually believe the gospel, but they had not allowed it to become the central truth of their hearts and minds. And so, like them, we often fail to share that gospel with others. If the gospel is not the central truth of our hearts and minds, then we can not think that it makes a difference in every hour of our day, and so we can fail to share that with others, can't we? When we center our hearts and minds around the gospel of Jesus, our lives are changed. And we feel compelled to share the gospel with as many people as possible so they might know the peace and the joy that we have because Jesus is risen. When was the last time? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? For the Apostle Paul, the gospel was the central truth of his life. When the Apostle Paul encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul went through a radical change. He was on the road to Damascus, as you recall, to to go and kill and to persecute Christians. But when he encountered the risen Jesus, he became a follower of Christ because he realized the resurrection is real, that it's true, that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. Paul became a Christian and committed his life to preaching the gospel to anyone who would listen. As the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The Apostle Paul had a burden to preach the gospel because the gospel had changed his life. Do we share that same burden today? Have we allowed the gospel to change our lives? When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Now, I know what you're thinking. We live in Amarillo, Texas. Who has not heard the gospel, right? I mean, we live in the heart of the Bible Belt, right? I mean, if I were to share the gospel, it's not like they haven't already heard it. But have they? Has everyone in Amarillo heard the gospel? Do they really understand The gospel and how the gospel ultimately impacts all of our lives today. Do they understand that in light of the gospel, our lives are lived out of unspeakable joy and gratitude? You see, in the Bible Belt of America, there are a lot of religious people, and most religious people operate out of the paradigm of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. They think they have to do something to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. They think, if I obey God, then God is going to bless me and accept me. The gospel teaches us, though, just the opposite, doesn't it? I mean, the gospel is about grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. The gospel establishes the fact that God accepts us and loves us before we do anything. The gospel helps us realize, as we read in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have Eternal life. As the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel lets us know that there's nothing we've done to earn God's love. There's nothing we can do to, to earn God's acceptance. God loves us and accepts us because out of his sovereign will, he has chosen to love us. He has chosen to send his one and only son here to this earth to pay the price for our sins so they could be reconciled, so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all. The gospel helps us see that we are accepted, we are loved, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us. And in gratitude for God's love, we live in obedience to him. Our obedience to God's love is driven by our gratitude for all that God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel completely changes the way that we approach life. The gospel leads us to live our lives in gratitude for what God has done for us because the gospel lets us know that God is with us and for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel lets us know that whatever challenges we may face, whatever problems we may go through, God is still in control. And this too will pass. The gospel lets us know that a heavenly paradise awaits all those who call upon the name of the Lord. Do the people in our social circles, family circles, and circles of influence really understand the magnitude of the gospel? Do they understand that they're loved by God regardless of what they've done? They're loved by God, and God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the gospel's for everyone, and, and as we can see from the church in Corinth, the gospel can change anyone. We need to share that gospel with others. You see, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 26, we'll find that the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, "'For consider your calling, brothers,' Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The church in Corinth was not made up of the who's who in in Corinth. It was made up of the lowly, the humble, the weak, in fact, as we read 1 Corinthians chapter six, we'll see that not only was the, the, church in Corinth not made up of the smartest or the wisest people, but it was actually made up of many immoral people. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse nine, we read, "Or you do not know, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived: neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers." Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you catch that? And such were some of you. The Apostle Paul, while he was in Corinth, shared the gospel with everyone. The Apostle Paul shared the gospel with the sexually immoral, the idolater, the adulterer, the homosexual offender, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers. Whomever he met, the Apostle Paul shared the gospel with them. Because the Apostle Paul knows that the gospel is for everyone, and it can change anyone. The Apostle Paul himself had been through a radical change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have we experienced that same radical change in our lives? Have we centered our hearts and minds around the gospel in such a way that we we live our life out of gratitude for what God has done for us, that we are people who bear the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Have we allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to move from our minds into our hearts in such a way that it it exudes out of us the the love of God, the good news of God's love, and we, we want to share that love with others? If we look at Acts 18, we can see that initially, the Apostle Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. While Paul was in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker, and he would share the gospel with anyone who would listen. He would reason with the Jews in the synagogues, or he would talk to the Greeks in their homes. And in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul has a dream, and God speaks to him in this vision. And God said to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Paul had faced resistance as he shared the gospel, but God gave him a vision and said, no, I want you to continue to speak because I have many in the city, but I want to hear the good news who are my people. Paul shared the gospel with everyone he could because he knew that the gospel is for everyone and the gospel can change Anyone. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Because the gospel, it's for everyone, regardless of what they've done. Last year, I was coming home from a, a class at Fuller Seminary with, uh, I took a class from Dr. Mark Laberton, who is actually now the president of Fuller Seminary. At the time, he was a preaching professor at uh, Fuller Seminary, and i would taken this class on preaching. And actually, Dr. Mark Laberton is going to be our Morris Distinguished Preacher uh, next spring. He's going to be preaching here on a, on a Mother's Day. So you won't want to miss that. Want to be sure and be here for that. But I had taken this class and I was in the Burbank Airport, Bob Hope Burbank Airport, trying to catch a flight to Amarillo. I had to go through Denver first and I'm in line. And I realized that um, I looked at my ticket from Burbank and Denver and I was going to have 45 minutes to catch my connecting flight uh, to Amarillo. And the flight uh, from Burbank was delayed. And so I didn't get on that plane until 30 minutes later. And I realized I'm only going to have 15 minutes to get from my airplane uh, when we land in Denver to my flight to get back to Amarillo. So I was getting a little anxious there. And so I, I said a, a quick prayer to God. And I said, God, if there's uh, Lord, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help me find a good seat up at the front. I don't usually do this, but I'm praying. I'm desperate. And I say, Lord, please help me find a seat at the front so I can catch my connecting flight in Denver And if there's someone you want me to talk to, I'll sit by them and I'll do whatever I can to point them to you. I'm just, I'm like, whatever you need, God, I'll do it, you name it. (laughs) Well, as soon as I get on the plane, the front row has an available seat. Uh, It's not one that I would normally choose, but it was the middle seat. Uh, there was a pretty uh, uh, sizable uh, African-American woman by the window, and there was a pretty sizable guy, a uh, white guy, uh, in the aisle seat. And I'm like, man, I've got to sit between those two people. But uh, I'm gonna, I need to catch this flight. So I, I went to the man. I said, hey, I'm sorry. I need to sit there. I've got, I've got uh, about 15 minutes to catch my connecting flight uh, in Denver. Is it all right if I sit here? And he was real uh, agreeable. and said, hey, yeah, no, no problem. That'd be great. So I, I sat down, and I said, hey, are you, uh, are you here on business? And he said, well, kind of. Um, I've uh, actually started a new job in Burbank, uh, but my family still lives in Denver, and so I'm I'm going home to see my family this weekend. I said, oh, man, I've been there before. I I remember that, because when I, I don't know if you remember, when I first came here, my wife and kids stayed in Dallas to finish up the semester, and I was here for about a month and a half, you know, and I'd go back home to see them. And so I said, man, I I remember doing that. That was tough. How is it going for you? He says, well, it's, 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 you know, kind of lonely at nights, but it's not anything I can't handle. And so I said to the guy, I said, well, hey, do you like your new job? He says, man, I, I love my new job. It's going great. I said, oh, that's good to hear. I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I'm in the video on demand business. I'm video on demand business. I said, okay. A video on demand, is that like for satellite television? He says, yeah, exactly. And so then I'm thinking, because all I know about video on demand is I've had DISH and I've had DirecTV. And so I said, oh, do you work for DISH or DirecTV? He said, well, actually, I don't work for either one of those. I actually work for Playboy.
0: Whoa.
1: <laughs> okay, I just prayed, Lord, please help me find a seat near the front so I can catch my connecting flight in Denver. <laughs> If there's someone you want me to talk to, I will sit by them and do whatever I can to point them to you. I had no idea that Playboy had an office in Burbank. I didn't know that. I just learned that. And so I'm going, wow, where did we go from here? And so I I just prayed, God, give me the words. And I I just had a question that kind of ran through my mind. I said, hey, I hate to ask this, but I'm just kind of curious. Hey, do your kids know you work for Playboy? I'm just kind of curious about that. He said, yeah, my my 13-year-old boy knows it. Man, he thinks it's pretty cool. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure he would. And and he says, but I haven't told my 10-year-old daughter yet. I said, oh, okay. Well, he wanted to change the subject pretty quick. He says, well, tell me, what do you do? (laughs) I smiled at the guy and I said, man, you're not going to believe this. I'm actually a Presbyterian minister. (laughs) The African-American woman next to me starts laughing loud. (laughs) And he starts laughing too. He says, Man, look at this. Isn't this funny? The saint and the sinner on the same row. So well, actually, we're all sinners. And we all need the love of God. And that's why Jesus came. Is to save us all, because we're all sinners. The African-American woman whispered in my ear and said, Amen, brother. He smiled at me and he said, Well, you know, I was actually married in a church. And he talked to me about his wife's mother, who was Episcopalian. And how she insisted that they get married in a church. And then he kind of wrapped it up by saying, you know, but the priest was pretty cool. When he did our wedding, he didn't talk about God too much. Which I replied, well, you wouldn't want me to do your wedding because that's all I talk about. (laughs) I talk about that God loved us so much that he sent his son here to this earth to die for us. The best way to have a life, a marriage that's going to sustain throughout a lifetime is to center your hearts and minds around the love of Jesus Christ. So you probably wouldn't want me to do your wedding because that's all I talk about. We smiled, and then the stewardess came to take our drink orders, and we kind of shifted our conversation to sports, and as we were kind of wrapping it up, he actually said to me, man, hey, well, I've enjoyed getting to talk to you. Hey, I want to give you my card, and just so you know, I'm not making this up. He gave me his card, his business card. I handed him my card, and he said to me, he said, hey, your people probably get a pretty good kick out of this. You ought to use it in a sermon someday, and I said, (laughs) don't worry, I will. (laughs) And then I said to him, as I handed my card to him, I said, I tell you what, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, you email me or call me, I'd love to talk to you about him because he's changed my life. He appreciated that and walked away. Now, Graham Porter has never called me or emailed me, but I believe by God's grace, seeds were planted that afternoon. Did you notice what I did there? Evangelism, sharing our faith, proclaiming the gospel, begins with prayer. I first prayed that God would guide me in my conversation, that if God wanted me to say something to someone, that He would give me the words to speak. Then as I prayed that prayer, the conversation began with the man I met. When we seek to share the, our story and the good news of Jesus Christ and how Jesus has changed our life, first, we need to pray, and second, we need to learn about their story. One of the best ways that we can share the love of God is to take the time we need to listen to someone else's story. Everyone has a story to tell. Very few people are willing to take the time to listen to their story. When we talked to the man, I began to ask him about himself and I asked him question after question. And then finally, he asked me something about myself. And as I shared with him who I am and what I'm about, I couldn't help but mention Jesus. Because Jesus is at the center of my heart and I know he's at the center of yours. Are we aware of the opportunities that God gives us to be salt and light, to share the good news of his son each and every day? And admittedly, that's a pretty unique example. I mean, it's pretty unusual to meet someone from Playboy uh, or be able to share that. But a more local example that maybe would encourage you is uh, my son, John, who's four years old, uh, wanted to play soccer. And so we got him on a soccer team. And you know, I'm an old athlete, uh, old being the key word there, uh, and older, and so I'm uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, let, we'll get John on a team. And, and we had a, a woman uh, coach us, the coach's team. And uh, she was really sweet. She was a school teacher, but I could quickly tell she knew nothing about soccer. I played soccer for 20 years. <laughs> and so we, uh, we lost every game. And my son, John, on the last game, I was like, John, you know what? They don't even keep score when they're four, but he knows they're losing. And I said, John, you know, we've go we got to go one more game. He said, Dad, I don't want to play anymore. I said, why? He because keep losing. I said, John, how do you know we're losing? He says, because we never score. <laughs> pretty smart kid. So <laughs> gets a brains from his mom. And so, yeah. So I said, Hey buddy, uh, you're right. But you know what? We need to go and your team's counting on you. And you know, we, we say yes or yes. And no, no. And so we said yes to this season. We got to finish it out. Let's do it. He said, okay, dad. Well, I'm feeling frustrated by the whole experience for John. I'm like, man, he's never going to play sports again. Oh man, poor kid. You know, too, too bad. It's a negative experience here. And I'm standing next to this father. Uh, his name's Larry. Great guy. And uh, he and I were talking and uh, we're kind of joking about the season and we actually did score the final game, that was fun to see, but we were just talking and the dad shared with me, he said, you know, um, I've decided to do indoor soccer with my daughter so she can have a more positive experience. Um, Hey, you think John would like to play? I said, man, I don't think John wants to play soccer ever again and he's like, oh man, but he's good. I'm like, well, you're nice to say that and he said, he said, well, I, I could use them on my team. I, I need a few more players to fill it out. So now I'm starting to feel a little bit of a nudge just to help the guy. But then I'm thinking, no way, man. This has been a- discouraging. Practices were hard. I had to get John to go. It was too tough. I don't want to do it. And he goes, man, I could really use some help with, the, with so- uh, coaching soccer. I'm like, man, that's the last thing I want to do. But then I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, here's an opportunity, Howard, to be in relationship with someone who's not already a part of your church, who may not know the gospel of Jesus Christ or may have heard it but not allowed it to sink into his heart. So I said, I tell you what, let me talk to my wife and we'll see what we can do. Well, uh, I talked to Sarah and she said, yeah, this could be a great opportunity for us to meet some other families and to share and to point people to our church or to point people to Jesus, more importantly. And, and so anyway, I signed up to do this thing, and I'm talking to the dad, and I said, okay, so you're coach, and I'm associate, assistant coach, right? Because goes, yeah, yeah, but just so you know, I've never played soccer before. I need you to do everything. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so now I haven't brought Larry to Christ, and, and we have had very little conversation about uh, church, but there are parents that I'm meeting weekly and having dialogue with, and every time before I have a conversation, I'm praying, God, if you want me to say something about you or about this church, I pray that you would naturally open that door. I've entered into this experience, experience and this commitment not just because I want my son to play soccer, but more importantly because I want to see if God has someone he wants me to meet so that I might share the gospel with them. And I'm not just preaching the gospel. I don't have the kids line up and start telling the cross to them and draw the bridge illustration at soccer practice. I'm coaching them in soccer, but the way that I coach soccer, I hope that I can express the joy and the love of Jesus Christ in such a way that they realize there's something different about this man There's something I want to know more about who he is. Yes, in light of the fact that the gospel is for everyone and it can change anyone, may we take the time we need each and every day to pray that the Lord would guide us to share the gospel with someone that day. Bill Hybels, the senior pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, has this wonderful prayer that he prays each day, asking God to guide him in sharing the gospel each day. I want to show it up here, we're going to, flash this prayer. I'd like for us to make this our (coughs) prayer today. Please join me in praying. My life is in your hands, God. Use me to point someone toward you today. I promise to cooperate in any way I can. If you want me to say a word for you today, I'll do that. If you want me to keep quiet but demonstrate love and servanthood, by your Spirit's power I will. I'm fully available to you today, so guide me by your Spirit. In your Son's name I pray. Amen.
0: Well, the gospel is
1: forever.